Well, good morning, North Star. If we've never had the opportunity to meet before, my name is Casey. I'm the high school pastor here, but I am super excited to get to be with you guys today as we're kicking off this brand new series called The Final Hours, and Kit set that up so, so well because leading up into Easter, we're looking at some of those final moments that Jesus had on the cross, and we're taking what he said and we're applying it to our lives because, man, those words that he uttered, in his final breaths um, before he died have such an impact on the way that we live our lives. And if we think about it, man, finality is just a weird thing. And maybe you're somebody that likes to think about your last moments. That is not me whatsoever. I want to stay far, far away from that as I can. But we all hope that in those final moments, whether it be here on earth or just a certain situation, is that we have the right words and that we say the right thing and we're making an impact. And what Jesus did as he's hanging on that cross, getting ready to die a death that he doesn't deserve, he utters a few words and he makes some statements that are going to impact lives forever. And that's where we're going to be for the next few weeks. So this morning, I would love for you guys, if you've got your Bibles, to turn to Luke 23 is where we're going to be. Luke 23. And we're really picking up in the climax of the story. So let me set the stage for us a little bit before we dive right in. So Jesus has already been taken out of the garden. He's been arrested. He has been brought before Pilate. Pilate sees nothing going on with him, doesn't understand why they've brought him here. Goes to Herod, same thing. And so now he's being taken back to Pilate. Pilate brings Jesus before the people at the Passover, and he allows them the opportunity to make a decision. You can see one of these two men freed. We've got Jesus, and then we've got this man named Barabbas, who's a hardened criminal. And the people that were gathered outside uh, began to scream for Barabbas. We want Barabbas, Barabbas, which meant that Jesus was to be crucified. And so we begin the journey as Jesus carries the cross up to Golgotha, and he has just been beaten to a pulp at this point. And it is a, uh, a gruesome scene, really, as he's been nailed to the cross, and he's been hung up, and they've erected the cross. It's standing up, and he's breathing so, so hard because, man, those, those breaths are becoming very precious and it's getting hard on his lungs as he's stretched out. Verse 32 is where we're picking up this story of Luke 23. Two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, they were, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said this, and this is where we're going to be spending our time today. Verse 34, and Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Jesus is speaking of the Roman soldiers who have beaten him, who have flogged him, who have mocked him, and have just made fun of him and put him in this horrible situation. 
And in verse 34, we see the heart of Christ. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Little did we know how much we were going to need to hear that statement in our own lives. Because that forgiveness that Jesus was uttering out to those Roman soldiers was going to be the forgiveness that we were going to need as human beings in 2020. Because Jesus wasn't up there dying for his sins. He was getting ready to die for our sins so that we would have an opportunity at new life and we would have an opportunity at a relationship with him. And so today, here's what we're going to do. We're going to focus in on that forgiveness that Jesus provides us. But here's what we know about forgiveness. To need forgiveness means that there's a guilty party involved. And so we're going to look at how you and I tend to handle guilt and then how Jesus wants us to handle our guilt. And I pray that when we walk out of here today in just a few moments is that we're going to have a brand new idea on what the forgiveness of Christ looks like and how it applies to every single one of our lives. So would you guys pray with me? Father, we, we thank you so much uh, for today. And Lord, reading those couple of verses out of Luke, it's, it's hard not to imagine just the gravity of the situation and, and place ourselves there in the moment as Jesus has to be exhausted and he's been beaten and he utters those words, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And Lord, the reality is we so desperately need that same forgiveness in our lives today. And Lord, there's some of us that have walked in here with a ton of baggage and a ton of shame and a ton of guilt. And I pray over the next few moments, Lord, that the Holy Spirit would set them free of that guilt because we would realize the forgiveness that is ours in Christ Jesus. So Lord, we give this time to you. And uh, Father, we just thank you for who you are. And it is in your precious and wonderful name that we pray. Amen. Okay, so the first way we're going to kind of look at this is our guilt go-tos, because there's a way that Jesus wants us to handle our guilt, and then there's the way that we go about doing it, right? So the first thing that we're going to do is look at our guilt go-tos. Here are the things that we have a tendency to do as human beings when guilt enters, enters the equation. So we've made a mistake, we've done something wrong, and instead of, man, just going to the Lord, we always do this beat around the bush, run around. And so this is what we tend to do. Here's the first step that we try to make is we try to bury it. We try to pretend like it never happened, right? So we've entered a situation, we've made a mistake, we've done something that we know we're not supposed to do, and we begin to dig this hole, right? Because we've already dug ourselves a little bit of a hole, but we're going to keep digging, and we're going to keep digging because we want to bury the problem and leave it here. Like, we don't want it to follow us. We don't want that problem attached to our name. I remember... One time growing up, we had just gotten brand new carpet at the house. Now, I don't know if you grew up in a home where getting new carpet was a big deal. This was a big deal, okay? The basement finally got brand new carpet, and that's where we watched all our sporting events and hung out most of the time. And so I remember being down there. I was 
probably 12 or 13, and I was eating a plate of nachos because that's what you do when you're 12 or 13. And uh, we're watching a game, and I had gotten this big thing of salsa right on the top of the nachos, okay? We all know where the story's going. And being the aggressive eater that I was as a preteen, right? You go and you throw up a couple chips, and salsa goes everywhere on the new carpet, right? And so you just got chunks of salsa, and I'm trying to pick it up and put it on the plate. And clearly, there's a stain forming on the new, brand new carpet. So there's a couple of options that you have as a child. Number one, man, you just own the situation. Look, I've made a mistake. I'm going to clean it up. We'll get it fixed. That didn't sound as good. Number two, (laughs) you grab the biggest pillow that you can find off the couch, right? And you throw it on the ground and you sit on it for the next couple of hours. And I remember praying like, Lord, I really don't know how science works. However, I am praying that somehow you can take this chunky salsa out of this carpet and you can somehow absorb it into this pillow through your spirit, please, Lord. And I remember like checking on it a couple of times and there's just this red stain, right? And so I leave the pillow there and I move on about my day because somebody else is gonna find it and it's not gonna be me and I can deny it, I can pretend like it never happened. And we have a tendency to do this, right? We always want to bury our problems. We wanna pretend like they never happened and we wanna put them in the past. I want you guys to check out this proverb. Proverb 28 says this, whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper. But he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. The problem with trying to bury our guilt and the problem with trying to bury our shame is that we never heal. We never move past this situation. It's like we're stuck in it forever. And anytime you try to move forward, it's three steps back because you're reminded of who you used to be. You're reminded of what you did and you want to move forward. We want to make progress. We want to do these great things and we feel like we are chained to this problem. We're chained to our past. We're chained to this guilt. And so no matter how deep you try to bury the problem, it always seems to find us, doesn't it? Burying it is never the issue. Those things never stay buried forever. And just by burying them, we're not keeping them from the Lord. He knows about it. He knows the mistake that we've made in real time. We can't hide from him. We can't pretend like it didn't. He saw it happen. And yet, we want to just bury it and move forward. But there's no moving forward when we've tried to dig a hole to the shame and guilt in the past. It always seems to find us again. So that's the first step that we take in our guilt go-to. And then we move to maybe my second favorite or my favorite one, which is we begin to blame, not myself, we're going to blame somebody else, right? We begin to blame others for the guilt that's taken place in our lives, okay? The best example of this, we could have searched, man, modern culture, we could have searched all these different ways. The best example of somebody blaming someone for their problems can be found 
in Scripture, okay, if we flip all the way back to the very beginning of the Bible and we go to Genesis 3, okay, so in Genesis 3, we don't have to talk a whole lot about who's out there. We've got Adam and we've got Eve, and that's it, right? They are the only two people on earth at this point, and we are only three chapters into the Bible and we're already playing the blame game. Check this out. Genesis 3, verse 12. The man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree, and I ate it. Okay, can we laugh at this a little bit? All right, it's, it's okay. Enough time has passed. We can laugh at this. Adam says, look, the woman, and not just the woman, the woman you gave to be with me, he's not only blaming Eve, he's blaming God, right? Look, you're the one that brought her here. She's the one that gave me the fruit to eat that we weren't supposed to. Isn't it so much easier to blame somebody else for our problems? It is so much easier, and momentarily, it feels good because we're denying the truth to ourselves. We're pretending like the truth doesn't exist because I've projected my feelings and I've projected my issues onto somebody else. So we blame other people for our guilt. We will search high and low. We will look all over. It doesn't matter. We're willing to push that upon anybody else because we don't like to feel shame and we don't like to feel guilt. And so once we realize that it can't stay buried forever, the next best thing that we can do is try to push it on somebody else. We try to turn it over to somebody and go, they're the reason that I'm in this situation. They're the reason that this happened. If that hadn't happened, man, we, we wouldn't have been together. It would have been totally fine. But because I was with them, this transpired. And so we begin to blame other people for our mistakes. But a lot like trying to bury the problem and bury the shame and bury the guilt, eventually we run out of people to blame, don't we? At some point, that long list of people who have wronged us, and if this hadn't happened, I would have been like this— well, it runs out. We can't stay that way forever. We can't continue to operate in that manner. And so then we finally move to our third guilt go-to, and we become upset with ourselves. The reality of our mistakes finally begins to take weight in our own personal lives. And often... We're our own worst critic, aren't we? We begin to really beat ourselves up over this thing that's happened. And I am the way I am because of this. I deserve X, Y, and Z. In the Psalms, we've got David who Scripture tells us is a man after God's own heart. Now, if we know David's story, we know that David had some serious screw-ups in his life. He made some really big mistakes. I want you to check out as he's lamenting one of them in Psalm 38, verse 4. He said this, My guilt has overwhelmed me like a burden too heavy to bear. 
my wounds fester and are loathsome because of my sinful folly. My guilt has overwhelmed me like a burden too heavy to bear. And I think that's a statement that a lot of us could relate to in those moments when that guilt just becomes too much for us to take. We can't stand the thought of it anymore. And there's something that is really dangerous that begins to take place in our own hearts and our own lives when we step into the stage. Because when we get to this kind of mindset, I believe this is one of Satan's favorite playgrounds. This is one of the best places he could find us in. Because doubt of what we know to be true is going to enter the picture. When we feel that kind of guilt and we feel that kind of shame, all of a sudden, the things that we've read in here and the things that we've sat and listened to hundreds of times seem like a distant thought. And we feel like there's an asterisk next to it that says, man, this applies to everybody but you. You have any idea what you've done? You really think God could love you through that mistake? I don't know. And this doubt begins to creep into our minds. One of the enemy's greatest tools is to make us doubt what we already know is true. All of the answers to what we're thinking, what we're feeling, what we're worried about, what we're anxious about, it can be found in here. And yet, when that guilt and that shame begins to finally take weight and we're so upset with ourselves that we can't stand it, we can't imagine that those things that we believe are 100% true actually apply to our lives. And it is this cycle of guilt that we go through. Because burying the problem doesn't work. Blaming others, it's temporary. Being upset with ourselves, I can only do it for so long. I can only stand that kind of pain and that kind of shame for a short period in my life until it's too much to bear. The problem with all three of those things is that's not what Jesus has called us to do with our guilt. Those are the sinful nature beginning to creep up, trying to deny that there's a problem, but that's not what we're called to do with it. So those are our goals for guilt, but Jesus also has goals for us in the way that we deal with our guilt as well. And the first one is that we acknowledge that it is there. We acknowledge it. We acknowledge that we have a problem. Because we can't begin to heal in the forgiveness process until we have admitted that there's an issue in our lives. 
Proverbs 20, 27, and I love the way the NIV put it, and it's going to be on the screens as well. It says this, the human spirit is the lamp of the Lord that sheds light on one's inmost being. The Lord knows our thoughts. He knows the things that are within our heart. But often it takes a deep dive and an introspective look at who we are for us to acknowledge that there's an issue in our lives. The Holy Spirit's going to do the work of convicting us of the sin, but we've got to be able to acknowledge that it's there. And that's not always an easy step to take because acknowledgement is ownership. And typically, if we've tried to bury it, we don't want to own those things that we've wanted to leave behind. But for forgiveness to begin to take place, we've got to acknowledge that there is something not right in our hearts and in our lives. But the second thing that we've got to do is We've acknowledged that it's there, so now I've got to accept responsibility for it. I've got to accept responsibility for this thing in my life that I have wanted to keep hidden for so, so long. James 5, 16 says, Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. So once we acknowledge the sin in our lives, we've got to confess that it's there. But accepting responsibility for our failures and for our guilt is often the step that halts us to asking for forgiveness. And here's where the roadblock comes in. It's one word. It's pride. Oftentimes, we're too prideful to want to acknowledge that issue. We're too prideful to want to acknowledge the sin that's taken place in our lives. We don't want to step forward and claim that it's ours. So I like to think that the Lord blessed me in many ways. We've got a great family. That's awesome. I've got awesome friends. They're great. But there was just one thing that when the Lord was knitting me together, he left a certain gene out of my body, and it was this artistic creative gene, okay? It does not exist. It is not there. I am the only kid in the world that I think had to be like just kind of pushed through elementary art school. Like I just couldn't do it. I was terrible. And I remember there was one time in art class we had to create like this sculpture, all right? And it was, you took some clay and you did the round circle thing. Clearly, I'm not an artist, right? And you began to make the sculpture, and you were going to present it to the class. And I made something that looked like the demigorgon out of Stranger Things. Like, this thing was just hideous, right? It was awful looking. It was terrible. And I remember that they put all of the kids little clay model things up at the front of the class and everybody's so proud because I made this and it's my dog and I made this because it looks like my house and I have created this monster that is sitting at the front of the room and everybody's going and they're claiming this project that they've made and they're presenting it and I remember sitting there like, I do not want anybody to know that that has my name on it. 
I don't want anybody to know that I have the demented fingers that put that thing together, right? Like, this is just terrible. And I was so, so embarrassed to walk up to the front of the class and to pick this thing up and to try to explain that it was supposed to be like a frog or something. Like, it was just, it was so, so bad. And there's many times in our lives where we're sitting in the classroom of life and it's time for us to acknowledge the sin that's there. And our pride will not get us out of the seat to go take ownership of it. We can't stand the thought. We can't stand the idea of everybody else knowing I did this. I made that mistake because we're prideful. But for us to really dig into the forgiveness that can be found in Christ Jesus, we've got to acknowledge the sin that's in our lives. The final step that we take in Jesus' goal for our forgiveness is that we ask him for forgiveness. It's a beautiful thing because Jesus has known all of these things that have taken place in our lives. None of it's been a secret to him. And yet, knowing the mistakes that we made, the sin that's existed in our lives, He's willing to give us forgiveness for something that if we were just evaluating it, we don't deserve forgiveness for. Jesus was able to manifest this kind of forgiveness for the soldiers that were torturing him as he's ending the near the end of his life. He is almost at the end of his life. His body is exhausted, it's beaten, it's broken. And Jesus utters the words, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. That same kind of forgiveness that existed for those Roman soldiers that Jesus spoke is available to us. It hasn't changed. It hasn't lost any of its power. That same forgiveness is available to you and I. But we don't always take it. We aren't always willing to embrace it, to run towards it because we feel like our failures are too much. The guilt that we have over what we've done may be even too much for Jesus to bear. Ladies and gentlemen, thousands of years have gone by since this moment took place in history. And we're getting ready to, to celebrate that through Easter in just a few weeks. But thousands of years have gone by since Jesus uttered those words here on earth. But that same forgiveness 
still exist for you and I today. It's still readily available. There is no sin too small. There is no sin too big to take before the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. I pray for you and I that we would lean into that forgiveness that can be found through Jesus. And it's found through a relationship with him. It's not something that we take lightly. It's not something that we just kind of skim over. But the weight that that forgiveness has in setting us free from the guilt and the shame that we don't know how we're gonna get past. It exists through going to Jesus and asking for forgiveness. And I pray that we are able to do that today. Do you guys pray with me? Father, I pray that we never undervalue the weight of that statement and that we never take for granted the depths of your forgiveness in our lives. That same forgiveness that Jesus was speaking over the Roman soldiers, it exists for every single person in here and every single person watching online today. It is readily available to us. But we've got to acknowledge that we have some, some guilt and some shame. We have to accept responsibility for it. And then we have to ask for your forgiveness and repent of it. And we have to leave it behind. But Father, with forgiveness, there is freedom. And guilt and shame, man, there's shackles and there's weight and we're tied to something. But through forgiveness, we can find freedom. And Lord, we know that there's probably people within the sound of my voice, whether it be in here or True North watching online, that are dealing with how they're handling their guilt. And they're not sure how they're gonna be able to move past it. Father, I pray today that they would take those steps and that they would ask for forgiveness of it and they would find freedom that can only be found in you. Lord, thank you for that forgiveness. Thank you for that hope that we don't have to be tied to our past for the rest of our lives. Lord, we love you. We thank you. It's your name we pray. Amen.